Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. And my name is Greg Knapp. I'm in for Greg Corumbus. You can find out more about me and get a free gift at my website, gregorybnapp.com. And I also have a new podcast out. Uh, it's on Apple Podcasts, Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. Links are in the show notes below. And I'm joined by Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent of National Review. His Twitter handle, at Jim Garrity. That's also in the show notes. And this is the Three Martini Lunch. All right, we will start with the good. It's a shocker. Shocker. The <laughs> Democrats have discovered good old Joe Biden is, get this, old. And he doesn't always watch what he says. In fact, if elected, Joe Biden would be 78 upon entering the White House, making him the oldest president ever to take office. And Jim, I, those first two debates, I, you know, I don't want to be elderist, if that's the word I can coin. Ageist, yes. Ageist, there you go. Well, you know, I had to do something new. Yeah. All right, so I don't want to be ageist or elderist, but he he looks, you know how you, you have your dad or your grandpa that you haven't seen him a while, and then you see him and you're like, oh man, when did my dad get old? That's yeah. He looked, didn't he? He did, and you know, those of us who've been, you know, looking forward to the 2020 race for a while and knew that there were a variety of Democrats out there knew that this these were gonna, probably going to be the two issues that would be biggest for Joe Biden. One was the age, seventy six now, seventy eight when he take if he was when he would take the oath if he was elected, uh, and the other one is look the long history of Joe Biden not watching his mouth and you know whether you want to call them gaps, whether you want to call them uh, inappropriate statements. We all remember stand up Chuck, you know mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Which is, you know, sometimes it's amusing, but sometimes it does not, uh, it can go off message and it can very much, you know, distract from whatever um, message he wanted. So today, you know, front page, New York Times, Katie Gluck and Jonathan Martin, lo and behold, <laughs> Biden supporters are nervous. They thought he was showing his age, appeared slow off the mark, uncertain about how to counterpunch uh, Kamala Harris. His supporters are saying he looked like he was a step slow. Uh, if he comes back strong in the next few debates, I think he'll be fine. But I do think he'll look kind of old in this debate. You know, believe it or not, here we are at the second debate. I think you can genuinely say Joe Biden, you know, if he's not feeling the pressure, he should be feeling the pressure. Because, you know, one, you can have an off night. Okay, it's everybody's, you know, opening night audition, fine. I think if he has another second one, I think all of a sudden it becomes a completely different Democratic primary. I absolutely do. I think you remember a few of these martinis ago, I told you, I do not think he will be the nominee. I don't think he's far enough left anymore, which is crazy that I say that. And I think he is too old and too many gaffes. Look, it was Joe being Joe when he's the VP to Obama. But when other Democrats want to win, then it's not Joe being Joe anymore. Now he's being treated like a Republican for what he says. Mm -hmm. But here's the, here's the thing to really be scared about. I don't know if you saw this, Jim. Vanity Fair has a piece that Joe should really be worried about because polling at less than 1%, Kirsten Gillibrand now says she's been digging up dirt on Biden and she's ready to unleash at this debate. Wow. <laughs> uh, you know, he should be ready for that. Uh, I, I think in the last debate, Gillibrand was, uh, every, every chance she got, she was trying to jump in there, feeling like she was going to get easily snubbed by the moderators and not enough questions come her way. Um, but I think the really interesting thing is that, you know, the context of this New York Times piece the question of de you know, growing concerns about, let's say Biden gets the nomination, how would he do up on stage with Trump? And we all know that Trump is a you know relentless debater, constantly attacks, you know, off the cuff, but but you know, but, you know, much more say much more effective than Hillary Clinton expected. 
and not the kind of situation you, you can stumble or, or, you know, be slow or, or, you know, look off your game. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, a bunch of Democrats are starting to feel kind of nervous about this, but uh, we will see how it shakes out. The last thing you want to do if you're Joe Biden is live down to the nickname Sleepy Joe. Absolutely. And that's something, love him or hate him or however you feel about him, Trump is awesome at getting something stuck in your head with a nickname, right? What he did with Lion Ted or Carly Fiorina, look at that face or, or, uh, rubio little little marco i mean he finds something that you're kind of thinking in your head that you kind of want to dismiss and then he puts it in there and then every time you see that person that's all you think about low energy jeb you know whatever it is you start to go yeah i guess he is low energy jeb and then every time you see him you think that and he could easily do that with joe yeah and he is you know uh my this way if democrats have a you know perhaps healthy wariness about uh, who they put up against Trump. And, you know, we know we will see more this week. Another important step in that process continues. And, and another part of it is for martini number two, the bad martini. Mm. Uh, Rahm Emanuel uh, has some good advice out, sounding the alarm. And Jim, I think you, you were saying you hope no Democrats follow it because he wrote a piece in Medium. And here's the headline. A memo to our Democratic presidential candidates don't make Detroit's debates a repeat of Miami. And here's a pull quote to set you up, Jim. It says this. Mm. If you're going to evict Donald Trump from the White House and secure the country's future, you have to replicate what the last two Democratic presidents did so successfully in their campaigns. You need to unite all primary voters. There's a reason Trump gleefully tweeted, that's the end of that race during the first debate. That was after they said they were going to all pay for illegal aliens to get free health care. Too often, you succumb to chasing plaudits on Twitter, which closed the door on swing voters in Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. If you win the nomination in a way that forecloses a path to victory in the general election, we will lose, and your name will go down in infamy. That's Rahm Emanuel. Yeah. Um, I, I selected this one as the bad martini because it will be bad for conservatives and Republicans if Democrats listen to this. Uh, Rahm Emanuel is the guy who was kind of the architect of the uh, Democrats take over the House back in 2006. Um, one of the, by the way, one of the candidates from back then, Kirsten Gillibrand. And uh, they did not do it based on, you know, hard lefty types. They did it on Heath Schuler types who were emphasizing how they were pro-gun rights and not like Nancy Pelosi and things like that. Now, we can argue how much those Democrats actually turned out to be moderates. I think the 2010 midterms indicate that uh, when push came to shove, they were willing to take votes that their districts didn't like. But, you know, Rahm Emanuel knows a thing or two about how to win places that are swing states. And he gets, you know, a little bit later in this little essay on Medium, he says, you know, gives the Democrats really good advice that I hope they do not take. Quote, when you're looking into the camera at the coming debate, imagine you're speaking to a voter in Grand Rapids or Green Bay who holds two core beliefs in her head. One, that the economy is okay, not bad. And two, that Trump's presidency is worse than bad. Showing that you understand those two points will yield electoral gold. You need to convince that voter to fire a president who is acting like the leader of a circus rather than the leader of the greatest nation on earth. While at her kitchen table, explain why you're the candidate best equipped to secure her family's future. Her vote is how you win the nomination in the White House. Everything else is secondary. I think it's safe to say that a bunch of these candidates have not been competing for those uh, uh, working class voters in that upper Midwest area. They've been, you know, looking for the plaudits from Brooklyn and uh, San Francisco and, and you know, the, the deep blue parts of the country, because that's where a lot of donors are. And that's probably where the most 
tuned in activist left folks are. Um, but that is not, I suspect, where the Democratic primary votes are, are you know, overwhelmingly going to be. And that certainly is not how you win the general election. Couldn't agree more. I think I, I saw a piece by Michael Goodwin, the New York Post, and he was saying that the, the research is showing in these elections that the people on the farthest left are really the white progressives, mm-hmm. not not the minorities. So even when you're talking about slavery reparations and some of these other far left ideas, they're really aiming more at this smaller white progressive audience than the traditional um, Democratic voting blocks. And they're alienating a lot of those traditional voting blocks. And yeah, hey, we'll see if they listen to Rom or not. Yeah, the Trump campaign must be hoping that they do not. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So here comes crazy martini number three. We've got Adam Schiff complaining about Robert Mueller's testimony. Now, it's interesting because there's two congressmen talking about this big time. Congressman Jerry Nadler, he's the one that wanted this thing to happen with with Mueller coming in the most. He's happy. He's, oh, yeah, this, this went great. He praised Mueller. I don't know what he was watching. And then Adam Schiff comes on, and we've got a little audio of him talking about this with Chuck Todd. Listen to this. Was there any part of Director Mueller's testimony you found unsatisfying? Uh, you know, look, I, I wish that uh, he had testified in more narrative fashion, that uh, the words didn't need to be coaxed from him as much as they did. You, you were talking, think, you were hoping it would bring it alive, is what you said, I think, last week, right? And I think that it did, but uh, it, it, was, it came alive, I think, uh, more through uh, very short questions and very short answers rather than a great deal of description from the witness. Uh, I think somebody needed to bring Robert Mueller alive is what I was worried about, Jim. <laughs> um, you know, this is like, it, it is one of those things where you ever see somebody and your your friend does a painting or something like that and it's not that good. You're yeah. looking for a way to praise it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're kind of you're kind of stretching and groping around and all that stuff, you know. Uh, it came alive through very short questions and very short answers, rather than a great deal of description from the witness. Look, the, the, first of all, no Democrat should have been all that surprised by that. Of course, from you know, Mueller's reluctance to, uh, uh, to testify and his statement in his short press conference at the end of May saying, look, what I, my report is my testimony. I don't plan on going beyond that report. We said what we had to say in the report. So you shouldn't have expected any bombshells or any dramatic revelations or, or something like that. So Democrats were completely convinced that having Mueller on camera saying things that had been in the report, that had been hashed out on, you know, in the newspapers and on cable news and on websites uh, and on social media, you know, when the report came out, that this was going to really change things. And I think it's safe to say that so far, no, it really hasn't. Um, and that Schiff and folks like that are kind of, you know, now having to say, well, you know, he, he only had a certain amount of time for his answers and stuff like that. Um, look, right before the, the hearings began, I remember somebody had said to Axios, some unnamed Democratic Committee source said, this could be the most important hearings of the decade. Mm-hmm. The first thing is, Greg, I remember the Kavanaugh hearings. That, that seemed like a big deal, don't you think? That was pretty big, <laughs> yeah. Before, like, like, so it may not have been the most important hearings in a year, <laughs> never mind of the decade. And then I think, you know, like if you build up the hype to it, people expect something huge and surprising and, and makes you say, oh my goodness, did you see this? And they didn't get that. And so I think they did Mueller no, no favors. They did themselves no favors. And uh, they find themselves with, you know, a fizzle yet again. Schiff had also made some comments indicating that he was frustrated that uh, Mueller had not gone through all the possible money laundering threads in the investigation. I remember saying, like, 
Remember when, when Robin De Niro was playing this guy as, as on Saturday Night Live as basically Samuel Gerard and the Fugitive, right? Mm-hmm. Hard target search of every outhouse, doghouse, you know. That he was the most determined guy. And all of a sudden, he's Mr. Magoo. All of a sudden, Mueller can't find any of this stuff. And, you know, uh, he, he dropped the ball. He didn't look hard enough. The about faces we see, I think, are pretty cynical. Yeah, absolutely. And when you see how it looked like he wasn't familiar with his own report, I think it gives more impetus to the investigation into how did all this happen? How did it how did the investigation start? Who was really running it? Was there bias involved? Were there things being left out when they went for the FISA warrants that the FISA court didn't know about? Uh, Were things being misrepresented? I think that may be coming out, but but the last question still is, okay, if we've got Congressman Nadler saying this was great, and I saw several Democrats saying this shows that we need to impeach, and then you've got Schiff and Nancy and some of the others saying, hey, you know, maybe we should actually focus on an election. Uh, the quickest way to get Trump out of the White House is to win the next election. Where do you think this goes with the Democrats between now and Election Day? I was going to say, look, this is uh, actually... My suspicion is that obviously the closer you get to election day, the sillier it looks to attempt to impeach the president. Um, I don't know. My, my suspicion is, is that we, we keep hearing those reports that the uh, inspector general report over the Department of Justice is going to have really critical things to say about Comey and stuff like that. That would be a bit of a stink bomb uh, for the Democrats. They would basically add fuel to Trump's argument that there's been a witch hunt out to get him from the beginning. We'll see what that IG report actually says. Worth noting that IG report, I believe, was supposed to be out in late spring. Late July does not strike me as late spring. It's taken, it's taken a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, my suspicion, it would not be surprising in the slightest if by the time autumn 2020 rolls around, the Democratic candidate does not want to argue about the, the Comey firing, does not want to argue about uh, the effort to impeach, does not want to you know, argue about Russian collusion and, and all kind of stuff uh, or obstruction of justice. And Trump does, because Trump thinks he's got a, hey, they've been out to get me from the beginning, and that's, you know, anything I've failed to accomplish, it's because of that. And Democrats, if they're wise, referring back to our, you know, Rahm Emanuel discussion, if they're wise, they'll be looking forward and trying to say, hey, remember back in 2017? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Remember when he fired Comey? That was terrible when, you know, but it doesn't help the fact that Comey is acting more and more like, you know, a member of the resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm with you that if you really want Trump out, whether you're if you're, if you're a Democrat, seems like the best thing to do is run a great campaign and win the election. And it's hard to do that and focus on what you're going to do for America if all you're doing is looking backwards. And I, I have a feeling that Nancy will make them figure that out fairly soon. All right. That is the three martini lunch. My name is Greg Knapp. And for Greg Columbus, Jim Garrity, senior political correspondent of National Review. His Twitter handle is at Jim Garrity. Find out more about both of us in the show notes. Hope you have a great one.